Good morning and welcome back. Wasn't that a wonderful prayer? One prayer uh, spoken in many languages and I love that. That's a great picture of the church that we're made up of many nations, many cultures, but we're one church, one people belonging to him. I want to welcome you today wherever you're joining us from. If you're a part of Family Church and uh, one of our congregations, it's brilliant to have you with us uh, again this morning. But also if you're a part of our online community and friends that have joined us on this journey of lockdown, we just want to welcome you today as well, wherever you're watching. We count it a great privilege that you would join us uh, this morning again for church. Our August this year has been very much a gospel August. We focused a lot upon the gospel, the message of the gospel throughout the weeks of August. And I believe we'll continue to stay in and around the gospel as we move into September and the next part of the year. We've spoken a lot over the last few weeks about salvation, <coughs> transformation that's caused within salvation, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We've looked at evangelism in a number of different ways over the last couple of weeks. We had Olivia um, about two weeks ago. And she spoke on not just knowing the gospel, but believing the gospel and the difference between a person knowing the gospel and when a person chooses to believe it or make it their own. And then last week we had my brother Steve, who did an incredible job of speaking on how we communicate the gospel to others. And uh, we had so much good feedback from both Olivia and Steve in how they presented their thoughts in and around the gospel. Now, we need to understand that when we speak of evangelism, the primary purpose of evangelism is, number one, to communicate the message of Jesus to other people. What do we mean by that? We communicate not the message of religion, but we communicate the message of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, what he's achieved for man in his death, burial and resurrection. So being evangelistic or choosing to uh, commit to a life of personal evangelism, which is what my new book, which is coming out really soon, is all about, is a call for a person to be able to communicate with other people, specifically in their world, who Jesus is and what he has done for them. But also evangelism, I believe, is to give that person then an invitation to experience uh, as a younger man, I spent some time in sales and they taught me within sales that you, number one, had to present what you were selling in a professional and in, and, and, and in a way that people would want it. But then you needed to let the people know that it was available for them. But thirdly, they always told us that the most important part in sales was closing the deal or giving the person opportunity to reject or accept what you were offering or presenting to them. It's the same when we're living an evangelistic lifestyle. We've got to know the message that we're presenting, but then we've also got to always have the courage to say to people, would you like this? This is what God's done for me. Would, would you like this in your life? Would you like the Lord to do this for you? Because he will. And then we know we can lead them in the simplest of prayers. God hears their heart and starts to move upon their life. So we invite people to experience salvation. That's a terminology that's very, very um, used within Christianity, isn't it? Salvation, to be saved. But to be saved to what? Well, I believe that this can be a number of experiences determining on what the person does in their moment of salvation. A person can experience salvation and by that it can mean that they now belong to God. 
which means they've given their life to God. Um, they kind of get on with their own life as it was before, but one day they have an assurance that they'll be with God in heaven. That's one experience of salvation, but I believe it's a lesser experience to what they could know. And that's an experience where not only do they become his, they pray a prayer, they hear about Jesus, they accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, and, um, and then they become God's. But then also they begin to let God work in their life. A few weeks ago, we spoke on the subject of believer or disciple, and we covered that thought within that message. But a person can move on from just belonging to him to really experiencing God transforming their life in ways that they never imagined that he could. Now, this difference between a person just belonging or a person experiencing transforming change within their life is often based upon the decision a person makes beyond the prayer that they prayed. Sadly, sometimes when the gospel's presented to people, the people are encouraged to pray a prayer, they say amen, and that's almost like the end of their commitment or their involvement in what God wants to do in their life. But for other people, it's the beginning of a great journey. But in that prayer, Jesus, will you become my Lord and Saviour? A journey begins, but then a journey continues. Now, here's the key question, I believe, that causes a difference between a person merely belonging to God and a a person experiencing um, incredible life change is, has there been true repentance? Now, repentance is an interesting word. Um, It's a word that needs to be a part of our gospel or our good news presentation to others because the Bible says that in a person's salvation, there's the need for repentance. Um, So it needs to be a part of our message, uh, not in a rusty legalistic way, but in a life-giving way. It needs to be a part of the invitation that we make to people. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to experience a repentance towards God in this prayer that you're praying? When a person is willing to repent or include um, repentance in their decision to be a follower of Jesus, I believe that's what activates then incredible internal change within their life and takes them from just belonging to God and having an assurance of being with him one day to experiencing God at work on the inside of them. Now, repentance is an interesting word, and it's a word that I think has sadly often been misunderstood. That when you hear repent, often when the gospel's being preached, um, you hear that word repent. And if the word repent isn't understood correctly, it can feel like a negative thing or a judgment thing, where in fact it's an invitation to come into something more wonderful in life than what you've known before. So often when the word repent or repentance is used, people tune out from it or turned off by it because of a misunderstanding concerning what the word means. Now, the Bible reveals clearly to us that Jesus, in his message, called people to repent. But what did he mean? What was he looking for? This would be a brilliant moment if my brother was speaking, like he did last week, to say, did he mean A, feel guilty about what you did? Did he mean B, have some tears and remorse concerning feeling bad? Or was it C, something that was a much larger experience? Obviously, the answer would be C. When God is asking a person to repent, he's not wanting them to feel bad about themselves. He's wanting them to come into a point of change that will transform them. 
Now let's look at one of the verses or a couple of the verses that are in the Gospels regarding repentance to see that it was indeed a part of what Jesus asked and expected of a person. It says in Luke 13 verse 3, from that time on Jesus began to preach, communicate, repent, there's the word, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come near to you now. So Jesus went around from village to village, town to town with this message, not just of a kingdom that was now present, but repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near to you. You can come into it right now. But also we see in Luke 5, 32, these are just a couple of verses that Jesus speaks of repentance. It says that he called sinners to repentance. Now the word sinner describes every one of us before we're saved by God. It doesn't mean that you're a worse sinner, a bad sinner, a level three sinner, a level one sinner. Sinner, like sin, is one word that describes us all before we receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now it says of Jesus that he called sinners to repentance. Also Peter, as well as Paul, would speak of repentance in their writings. In, um, in Acts 2, 38, it says that Peter, when he was preaching, continued with the message that Jesus had. And in his message, he said, repent and be baptized. So Jesus said, repent and come into the kingdom. Peter preached, repent and be baptized. Jesus sent his disciples out with a message calling people to repent. So repent is a part of our message because it was a part of his message. But again, if we have a misunderstanding of what repentance is, we can lead people down a road that they're not meant to be on and not put them on a road that they are. I want to know, and the question I'm asking today, my key question today is what did Jesus mean by repent? What did he expect from a person that was repenting or coming to the response or the invitation to repent, to repent? Now, we need to understand that the misunderstanding towards the word repent or repentance comes often because there's an Old Testament understanding of the word repentance and there's a New Testament understanding of the word repentance. And they're very, very different experiences. So if we're saying to people repent, but we're asking them to fulfill an Old Testament or an Old Covenant repentance, we are actually so last season. It's us who are out of date, not them. We need to understand in our hearts, what did Jesus mean when he said to a person, you need to repent or there needs to be repentance in your life? Now look at the differences between the old and the new. Remember, we believe that there's an Old Testament, a New Testament. We also believe that there's an old covenant. The word covenant isn't a scary word if you've never heard that word. It just means agreement. There was an agreement between God and man. And in the Bible, it's called covenant. Now, there was an old covenant and there was a new covenant. Now, under the old agreement between God and man, there was a required repentance. And under the agreement now that we have as people believing in Jesus, there's still a call for repentance. But what God is expecting is very, very different. Now, when you look in the word, uh, at the word uh, repent in the Old Testament, a dictionary expresses it really well that I was reading this morning. It says, to repent means to feel or express. It's all about feelings. This manner of repentance, Old Testament repentance, is a lot about feelings, how you feel. It says to feel or express sincere regret or remorse, 
about one's wrongdoing or sin. To view or think of an action or omission with deep regret or remorse. To feel regret or penitence about that. So you can hear the tone of Old Testament repentance. Do you feel bad about what you've done? That's often what parents will expect from their children. But parents don't just want kids to feel bad. They want something beyond them feeling bad. They want change. Have you left your room a mess? Now, they don't want the person, the kid to say, yeah, it's a mess. They want them to say, yeah, it's a mess. Feel bad about it and then go and tidy the room up. There's something more than just feelings to repentance. But in the Old Testament, a lot of it was about feeling bad. You've done this. You better feel bad. You've done this. How do you feel about that? Do you feel, do you feel remorseful for what you've done? Now, don't get me wrong. When we look at any manner of repentance, whether it's Old Covenant or New Covenant, there's always a degree of remorse. There's always a, a degree of sadness. When the Holy Spirit reveals to us something that we've done wrong or something that we've thought wrong, there's always a degree of, oh man, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't have done that or that was just wrong behavior I, I shouldn't have treated that person like that but that's not where we're meant to stop it's good that we come through the porch way of feeling remorse or regret but that's not where we're meant to stop when Jesus asked for a person to repent he was opening up what repentance was to a whole new layer that would provide the ability for the person who felt bad for who they were or what they'd done or for sin to come into a whole new way of life. Now, it's interesting, I believe it's Wikipedia, that when Wikipedia speaks of repentance, it aligns with New Testament thought, which is the word that was used by Jesus and by Peter and by Paul was a different word that was used in the Old Testament. It was the word metaneia or metaneia. And it meant, um, this is what it meant. This is what was called for throughout the Bible is a summons to a personal, absolute and ultimate unconditioned, sur unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. I love that. So that when the word repent is used in the New Testament, it doesn't mean just to feel guilty, shameful, bad, like you've let everyone down and to be imprisoned into a moment of regret all of your days. Rather, feeling bad was just a porchway into a larger experience. Let me read again what it says in this definition. Repentance, metanoia, called for throughout the Bible in a summons to a personal, absolute an ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it is more than that. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, a 180 uh, degree turn from what they were doing towards God. Whenever I've taught on repentance in the New Testament, I've always said that it's no longer just mournful sorrowfulness or a feeling bad, but rather it's a change of thinking. If you look at the word that's used in the New Testament for repentance, it means to change the way you think. It means to rethink what you've been believing, but not just to rethink, but then to add action to a new way of thinking. 
So can you see how sometimes people misunderstand when the word repent is used? Maybe a speaker or a communicator says, hey, you need to repent and turn to God and be saved. He's not saying you need to feel bad about what you've done. What he's saying is, no, you need to change the way you think so that you can bring your thinking into alignment with God's will, God's sovereign will, and God's ways. And when you bring your life into alignment with God's ways and his will, that's when your life will begin to change beyond anything that you ever imagined. So it's interesting. To repent means to rethink. That's the definition. That's what Jesus was asking for when he said, repent so that you can enter the kingdom of God. Rethink, think differently, turn in the way that you think, not away from God, but towards God. So to me, the word repentance is to turn. And there's a dual action in turning, isn't there? That often when we talk about turning, we talk about turning away from but we also need to understand that in that action we're not just called to turn away from but we're also called to turn towards does that make sense but when we repent it's not enough just to turn away from we need to turn away from but also turn towards so when a person is responding to God saying yes Lord I want to repent. I want to receive your salvation. They're turning from their will and their ways to come into a submission to his will and his ways. Now, when this slight maneuver is misunderstood, a person can be left in no man's land because they've turned away from, but they've not turned towards. When a person repents genuinely, it's not just turning from, because that leaves them actually in some ways no better than what they were before. It's turning from, but then also turning to. So let's open that way of thinking up a little bit more. When a person is saved, there must be a turning. Whether that turning is fast or whether it's slow, there needs to be a turning. Some people, when they repent and respond to God, they suddenly uh, become conscious of the life they were living or the ways that they were acting in that were so different from God. And sometimes you experience people in a moment turn from who they were and how they used to live straight away to a submission to God's ways and his will. And it's like their life suddenly gets hit supercharged. They just begin to grow and change and the people in church around them go, whoa, look at that. Other times, a person's journey to submission to God is a little bit slower. They turn to some degree from their ways. And then slowly over a course of months and sadly even years, they slowly, slowly turn towards now God's will and his ways. And it's the speed of that turning or the hunger within us for that turning that can produce incredible fast or slow transformation in our salvation experience. Let me read you a verse now from Second Chronicles. And this is quite a common verse at the moment. A lot of people are using about humbling ourselves and prayer. But it's a bigger, bigger subject than just humbling ourselves and praying to see God heal our land. This verse also speaks of the act of turning or the act of repentance when a person doesn't just go, I'm sorry for what I did, but 
in their thinking, they say, I'm going to change the way I think now. I'm going to turn towards God's way. Now listen to these verses, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. Um, Isn't that wonderful that the other side of repentance with God is forgiveness of sin? That's so different to some of the repentance we can experience in modern day life. In modern day life, people say these people need to repent. But often when they do, they still want them to pay a price or they still want them to feel bad. I'm so glad that God's not like that. When a person repents, God forgives and he forgets. Maybe we'll come back to that at the end. We need to understand that God is willing and desiring to forgive our sins, to heal our land, to heal our life. But prior to that isn't just prayer, but there's also the turning or the changing in the way that we think away from, but always towards too. So what do we read in Second Chronicles chapter seven? It says four things. Number one, humble. Now, repentance will always follow humility. Um, repentance never follows pride. Whenever a person is full of pride, they go, well, I don't want to repent. I know better. Well, maybe what if I'm right? That's the sound of pride. But the Bible says that God's healing of a land or a person and his forgiveness follows a humble heart, the heart of a person that says, yeah, I'm wrong. I I was doing wrong. I was thinking wrong. I want to change. But then it says number two, seek. So first off, it says humble yourself. And then it says seek his face. Come on, that's our common journey, isn't it, as believers, to seek his face. In seeking his face, you're seeking his ways and his will. In seeking his face, you're actually turning from the face of what you were seeking to seek him. It's all about turning. It's all about turning from and turning towards. But then number three, it says that we're to pray. One, we're to humble ourselves. Number two, we're to seek his face. Number three, we're to pray. But then number four, it says turn from your wicked ways. Now, the difference is here. God's not saying in this verse, feel bad, pray, seek my face, but just keep on doing what you're doing. Business as usual. What God's saying is, no, not business as usual. If you've received what my son has done for you on the cross, if you've received this brand new life that I'm giving you because of what Jesus has done for you, it can't be business as usual. You can't on keep on doing what you were doing if it was contrary to the ways of God. There needs to be an absolute turning from and a turning to. You know, when we see um, true repentance take place, um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book. It was by um, someone called John Newton, and he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And it's an incredible song that we all know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The interesting thing is the storyline of this man, John Newton, Um, He was a slave trader. He was a vicious, one of the worst recorded slave traders um, in history. Uh, If you read about slave trading, you'll see his name. But there was a moment when the Holy Spirit came upon John Newton and convicted him of his sin or the way that he was treating fellow human beings because of color of skin or culture. 
And in that moment, if you read up on John Newton, his heart was torn concerning, suddenly he saw things for how they were. He actually saw things beyond the veil or the deception that he'd been taught. And he suddenly realized what he was doing to people made in the image of God, but were no different to him. And if you read the story of John Newton in that moment, he stopped being a slave trader. He stopped um, treating people uh, in a lesser way because of skin color or culture. And then he gave the rest of his life for the kingdom purposes of blessing and loving people he formerly had mistreated. Now it's interesting when we think of John Newton, a slave trader that was converted, the Holy Spirit came upon him, his life was changed. And now we all sing across every nation, this incredible song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. But we need to understand that we understand the saving power of God in regard to a person's response or repentance. When we look at the life of people like John Newton. People could have carried on looking at him as a slave trader or a racist and he wasn't. He was because he was once lost but now he was found. He'd come before the Lord and people said I'm sorry for what I've done but he didn't just say sorry and then carry on like he was before. He lived and turned his life from one way of living and one way of thinking towards a way of living and thinking that was coming from the mind and the heart of God. The sad thing is that some people wouldn't see him beyond that moment as anything more than a slave trader. But the fact was, he was just like Paul had turned from being Saul to becoming Paul, from being a Christian killer to being a Christian leader. So it was for John Newton. And out of that experience of repentance came this incredible, incredible song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. We also need to understand that John Newton was no longer identifying as a wretch. He was identifying as someone who was a wretch before he turned, but was now a follower, a saint of God. When we understand repentance, come on, we've got to grasp this. If a person repents of something, you can't keep on treating them like they were the person they were before. You've got to be able to apply forgiveness and grace when a person says, I was wrong, and then changes the way that they live to live in alignment with new thought. Again, some people, oh, I've got a problem with that. Well, you need to deal with that because the measure of forgiveness you give somebody repenting to you, God's going to measure that back at you. Come on, read the Bible. He says how we love, how we forgive, the mercy we show to the degree we use on others. The Bible, not me, says he's going to use towards us. So we need to make sure that when people are repenting of things in our life that have maybe done us wrong, um, but have now said I'm changed, we need to be dispensers of grace, just as God is towards us. So we're turning from and we're turning to. But what are we turning from and turning to specifically? We're turning from our ways to his ways. We're turning from our will to his will. Let's unpack this a little bit further. The Bible recognizes there's three wills at play in your life and my life at any given time. There's the devil's will. We know that that's expressed in John 10 verse 10 when it says the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life. So it's very obvious that the will of Satan for you, for me, for every person that's on the earth today is to kill, steal and destroy. 
He's very open with his agenda. He's not covering it up. The mission plan of Satan for your life and the life of every person alive on the earth is kill, steal and destroy. He wants to kill, steal and destroy their health, their marriage, their finances, their peace. That's his will for you. I'm so glad that the will of God follows it. But I have come that you would have life. The will of God towards you expressed in John 10 verse 10 is that God's will is that you would have life and have it to all abundance. But also, I think sometimes a bigger problem is our own will, isn't it? I want to do this. I know what God wants, but I prefer to do this. This is better for me. I will this for me. Oh, my goodness. That has been probably the biggest roadblock in my life and in your life. In some ways, the devil's will for my life is secondary to my own stubborn will. That's why the Bible says I need to humble myself. I need to seek his face. I need to pray, but also I need to turn from my will for my life to his will for my life. And this is the essence of my message today, that what we do in repentance is turn primarily from our will for our life. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. To doing a 180 degree or doing a turn that now we say, Lord, it's no longer about my will. Again, if you just want to be saved and go to heaven, you don't need to do this. But if you want to experience the power of God changing your life every day, every hour, every moment, this is all that you need to do, this is all that I need to do, this is all that we need to do, is to make a decision that daily as the Holy Spirit convicts us or shows us something that's not the will of God or the way of God in our life. We don't respond in pride and go, well, I like it and and, uh, this is my rights. Rather, we say, oh, man, I'm sorry, Lord. There is a degree of mournful sorrowfulness. Did I do that? That's wrong, Lord. Just like what John Newton did, the moment that the Holy Spirit convicted him of his racism and just the way he was, I'm sorry, God, I'm cut to my heart. But then he turned towards God's ways. And what he did is what we all need to do, often on a daily basis, is then say, Lord, your will and your way in my life from this point on. Thank you that your grace and your mercy covers what went behind me. Remember, the Bible says goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. But it's have we turned now or are we in no man's land? We're no longer serving our will, but we're not serving his will. So we're in no man's land. Listen, that's not where God wants any of us to live. And that's not where you grow as a Christian. It's when we do that incredible full turn. No longer my will, no longer my ways. Lord, your will. I submit, I gladly submit my life to your will and to your ways. Now, we're not short of understanding the will or the ways of God. The Holy Spirit leads us in the will and the ways of God, but the Bible is filled with the will and the ways of God. How can I know God's will? Read your Bible. Really simple. Open it up, start to read it, and you'll see the will of God written for you right before your eyes. Now, okay, let's begin to bring this in. When we repent, turn from our ways to his ways, we actually create what I would call in a Genesis way, a reverse maneuver. You see, the actual problem with humanity was humanity's choice to have its will in place of God's will. Go back to the book of Genesis and you'll see that this is the origin of sin. In the beginning, God said to Adam, everything you need is in me. 
Everything you need is in my ways, in my wills. Your perfect way of living that will affect you and, and those that follow you is in my will and in my ways. But then we know the snake comes into the garden, offers the apple, the fruit. In that moment when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, what did they do? They turned from the will of God to their will inspired by Satan. Think about it. Up to that point, they were facing the will of God. The ways of God were, was their will and their ways. God said to them, don't eat of the fruit. One thing I ask of you, don't touch of that one tree. They knew the rules. But when tempted, it wasn't about the apple or what fruit it was. It was in that moment they turned from the will and the ways of God to their own will and ways inspired by Satan. We want to do this instead. You see, the reason that Jesus says to us to repent is to create that turning from living our way to coming back again to living his way. Why? So that we can experience everything he's got for us. Listen, our lives will go from glory from glory and from blessing from blessing, from peace to peace, from joy to joy, from strength to strength. When we dare to bring our lives from serving our will and our ways, I prefer, I'm more comfortable than this, I'd rather do this, to saying, Lord, your will be done. Now we see in Adam returning from God's will to his own will. But we also see in Jesus returning from man's will back to God's. Remember the words that Jesus said on the cross. Remember when Jesus came, he came to repair everything that Adam had done to humanity. When you look at the life of Jesus and you hold it over the life of Adam, you see a complete opposite way of living and thinking. Adam's will was submitted to his own desires, his own carnal needs, where Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father do. I'm only here, to, I won't speak what the Father is not speaking. Jesus was 100% submitted to the will of his Father. And that final statement he makes upon the cross really underlines that for us. When Jesus almost wiped out the sin of Adam with those words on our behalf, not my will be done. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, I can see what's coming and it's, it's not good. It's going to hurt. There's going to be a lot of pain. But then Jesus pressed the button that would activate our salvation with those words. But not my will be done. Your will be done, Lord. You see, Adam was living towards man's will inspired by the devil. Jesus came completely yielded and submitted to the Father's will. As believers, we're called now to not live in no man's land, but live lives that are in submission to the will of God and the ways of God. This is the repentance that God expects of us because of the rewards that it brings to us. We move from my will be done to your will be done. Now, this is the difference between a person just experiencing a belonging to God where their lives don't change, but hey, one day in heaven they will, to a person saying, Lord, you're changing the way I think about this, and God, the way I used to think about that. I love speaking to believers when they're just telling you about what God's addressing, not to condemn them or make them feel bad, but to bring about his changes that are always so much better.
Sadly, this is a missing part of some gospels that are preached today. Often in gospels that are preached today, you're like, just believe in Jesus and everything will be all right. No, no, Jesus said to experience his life, all the things he has for you, there needs to be within your salvation, your prayer of salvation, what happens after your prayer of salvation. If it's slow or fast, that's up to you. A turning, I'm no, going, no longer going to live by my will or my ways. Lord, I bring my will in submission to your word, to your will and to your way. That's when a person begins to fly sore. You know, the good news is that when we share others, uh, when we share to others the good news of the gospel, we're not standing there like some long grey head fanatic on a box going, repent, repent, the end is nigh. That's to misunderstand what Jesus was asking for in repentance. Rather, when we come to a person and share Jesus with them, our message is simply, if you're willing to change the way you think, your life can become beyond anything you ever imagined it could be. But you see, we limit God if we don't help a person to turn in the will that's ruling their life. Like I said before, the good news is when a person repents, he forgives. I've underlined already how sadly some people don't live that way in their world when it comes to repentance. Sometimes people say in, in this modern world we're living, repent, repent, repent. And then you see people earnestly repent from ways that they were thinking that were wrong. And then suddenly it's like, no, you still need to pay. You still owe us. You still need to feel bad. We're still going to know you. We can't live that way because that's not, that's not kingdom repentance. That's not, that's not biblical repentance. Listen, when we look at anything, we want the biblical expression of it. We don't want social justice. We want biblical justice. We want to live our lives in accordance to the way that God says is right, just, fair, kind and true. Nothing else than kingdom living will give us the lives that we experience that he intended for us to live. The way that we treat each other needs to be based on a kingdom way of living, not on modern philosophies that come out of people's experience or pain. Let's put the Bible, I've said this all along, guys, let's put the Bible in the centre of the table and make the teachings of Jesus Christ the things that navigate us in the decisions and the, and the ways that we have, handle the things that we deal with in life. Nothing else will do. The good news of, of God is that when a person repents to him he forgives one of my favorite verses is first john 1 verse 19 it says and if we confess our sins he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness isn't that a wonderful verse that's a verse worth memorizing first john 1 verse 19 and if we confess because in our confession is our repentance if we come before the lord and go ah oh, lord i got it wrong i messed up i feel bad about this the bible says if we come and we say lord i've done wrong but i don't want to keep doing wrong i'm not i'm not pulling the wool over your eyes lord i'm not saying sorry with the intention to do it next week as well you got me i don't want to live like this anymore i want to turn from your will from my will and ways regarding this to yours I don't want to live like I've lived before if there's a genuine repentance in our confession the Bible says he is faithful to both forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or the results of the way that we used to live let me just finish with this verse I love this Romans 2 verse 4 says it's the goodness of God that causes a person to repent again when we look at 
modern understanding of repentance with some people, it's like, it's not about goodness, it's about judgment. I judge you, and then you repent, and then we'll see what happens then. I'm so glad that God doesn't do that to us. He actually says it's his goodness, or his kindness is another translation of that word. It's his goodness and his kindness that causes a person to want to change the way they think. Remember, repentance is rethinking, changing the way we think. Let me underline this again. It's his goodness and his kindness, not his judgment and his wrath. Because if you're changed by his judgment and wrath, normally you're changed back when you've got over it. But when you're changed because of his kindness and his mercy, you're never the same again. It's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads a person to true repentance, that causes a person not just to belong to him, but to turn from serving their will and their ways to now submitting gladly and joyfully to his ways and his will for their lives. If you're watching today and you're a Christian, just want to encourage you, live in the repentance that Jesus required. If the Holy Spirit in the course of your week or this coming month brings a conviction in your heart concerning something, remember the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn, he convicts. Why does he convict? Because he wants to bring us to a better way of living in that section of our lives. But if ever you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit where the Lord's going, hey, let's deal with this now, Andy. All we need to do is 1 John 1, 19, Lord, you're right, I confess. I want to not just say sorry or feel bad. I want to change the way I think regarding that. I want to turn to your way of living in that area. The Bible says in that moment it's done. But maybe you're watching today and you're, you're saying, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never, um, I've never prayed a prayer of salvation. Or maybe you're watching and you did, but you've drifted, you've lost your way. That's okay. This last Sunday of August, you can pray a prayer. And God's not so much listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth, but to what's going on in your heart in this moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And all I want you to do is just say amen at the end. If you're watching today, and uh, we're so thankful that you have been. If you're watching today and you say, I don't belong to Jesus, but I want to. I understand repentance, Andy. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to find a better way of living. That's available right now, one prayer. But maybe you're watching and you're a Christian that's wandered, backslidden, gone astray come back today this isn't a time to be away from God this is a time to be with God walking with God and as you pray this prayer God will see straight into the activity of your heart and everything changes in a moment Father I thank you that you died on the cross for me in Christ to save me from my sin and to give me a brand new life thank you Lord that when I repent and say sorry you are faithful to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and bring me in to a new existence and a new way of living. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. Save me today, I pray. Thank you that your word says, because I've prayed this prayer in my heart and confessed it with my mouth, you have saved me right now. Lord, I thank you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me in my life what I need to turn from and towards. Help me to understand where I should no longer serve 
my will or my ways, but serve yours. My heart, Father, is to now live in submission to your will with everything that I am. Thank you for saving me. Amen. That's it. Just say that word, amen. And as you do, the Bible says you are saved. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you send me an email and let me know? If you've come to the Lord for the first time today, if you've come back to the Lord, just contact me at Andy at family.church. Send me an email, andy at family.church. We've got a little booklet we'd love to send you concerning what's just happened in your life and all that God's got for you next. I hope you've enjoyed today. Listen, a bit of a strong word, but an important word on repentance, because we need to walk in a repentant lifestyle with God, which is always deciding, Lord, your will, your ways over mine. Why? Because then we experience the life he intended for us to know. Have an incredible week. Let's jump into September, believing for all of our friends and family to find Jesus too. God bless.